0: Got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause win is expensive. I
1: got expensive, cause win is expensive. I've yeah. been yeah. 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 beating out of work And I've been shutting out when it rain and it first Yeah And I'm ready for some more yeah. And
0: welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sells podcast, where, as you can see right behind me, we're making it rain today. We're going to be talking about, it's bid season, so we're going to be talking about shipping bids, getting on shipping bids, getting invited to them, and winning them, and uh, different tactic tactics and and philosophies for, for getting that done. My name's Kevin Hill, and as always, I'm here with Duner. How are you doing today, Duner?
1: Well, not as always. Last week, you were here with uh, Adam Robinson Good. and uh, Joe and Joe Lynch. They did a very nice job filling in.
0: They did. We talked all about content marketing, which we'll talk about a little bit today as well. Staying on the shipper's radar is very important as you're navigating
1: year-to-year bids. I'm just sharing this out in a post now. The comments are open. We are live. We've got uh, Brandon Ferreira. He says, oh, yeah. Any relation to Steve? I don't know. I don't know. Wayne Craig says, hey, guys, from Salem, Illinois. But yeah, talking about bids, man—the heartbreak, the triumph, all that goes into it. Usually heartbreak, sometimes triumph. A lot of work, very time-consuming. You put out a video yesterday. You got a lot of comments on it, so it's going to be a big show. Looking forward to talking to Michael Fulham, especially since he complimented me and said I had uh, the best radio voice in in freight. So I'll I'll take That'd it, work. man. I'll always take a nice compliment like that. Um, let's get into some bad marketing, though. This is what a lot of people have been complaining about. So here we go. Bad bad marketing. Marketing. Today, today, Yeah, man, Kevin, I've been getting a lot of spam email on LinkedIn lately. Have you?
0: I have, yes. I I, I get a little bit. I think Schreiber gets the most from from what he tells us. Like like He he gets maybe 20 a day is what what he's telling me. But me, I I get a few Mm -hmm. a day, and it's usually capital leasing places, asset-based, you know, lenders, factoring companies. I I, I get them.
1: I, I don't know why, but I do. Jake McLeod says, sometimes feels like triumph at first and then heartbreak. We got Ibrahim here. He said, hey, guys, Philly in the house. Hey, Philly. Uh, Steven Stephen Stotts is GM from Portland, Tennessee. I wonder if the Philly guy wants Nick Foles back. I think the Bears are uh, putting him on layaway.
0: I, I think so, too. I, I think they probably want Foles back. I, I would.
1: Uh, so Paul the Snape. The great NFC East. Paul Snape. He says, have people forgotten how to start sales conversations since COVID? I am being besieged on a daily basis by random people on LinkedIn Uh, who think it's okay to ask a brand new, a cold, brand new connection to do business immediately. Uh, Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of this, too. Um, He said LinkedIn is not Tinder. But, you know, that got me thinking, too, because women have it way, way worse than most guys do. When you say LinkedIn is not Tinder, he's saying it just like, oh, being asked out on the first date in terms of business. But a lot of women get way worse messages than we do, like way more inappropriate messages than we do.
0: Oh yeah, you, you you have a platform of uh, a lot of men, middle-aged men. Uh, there's there's no telling what what messages they're sending out to to to, to female connections. But I, I've seen some bad ones.
1: I just got one offering, so it's like the, I think the I think a lot of the reason is LinkedIn Navigator and email, the AI-powered communication software and like really dirty CRMs, because I constantly get stuff like. Hey, like I got one today. Like the email starts getting antagonistic. It was like the third one. And they're like, this is the third email to you. I've done a ton of research and I think we could really help out your, in brackets, steel fabrication business. Like, <laughs> ton of research, <laughs> ton of research.
0: I, I know, right? And I think LinkedIn is, is, there's a lot of AI machine learning and automated lead building lists uh, for for LinkedIn messages that are turning into spam. So the, the AI is catching up with the platform. So we're probably all going to see uh, more and more spam as we go forward.
1: Erin Smedic, she says, yep, it's disgusting. Hey, in the comments, what is the worst linkedin message you've received leave in the comments i'm I'm curious to hear there's been some really bad ones fortunately i don't i don't tend to get uh hit on on in my dms what i do do is get a lot of uh ai powered uh in message sale proposals for things that i have nothing to do with
0: yeah so same here and a lot of you know online marketing media people or you know offering services to to boost my seo or uh to 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 build leadless for me um for You know, and, and build up my, my website. I, I get a lot of those as well. But I, I get a, I still get it because I'm in the trucking industry. I get a lot of asset based lenders, asset based lenders who are wanting to loan me money against my trucks.
1: You know, I, I would don't also, have any trucks. I would also say uh, don't let your A.I. send out your you know, your perverted messages, especially to people who work at a media company, because you know, you can always get put on blast. So, you know, be professional. Don't harass women or men out there in the messages. Um, you know, if, if you're doing the automated sales, you're just trying to sell stuff. I mean, good luck to you. I tend to block people on in mail. If I connect with them, they immediately just send me a pitch. I'm just like, you know what? Wrong connection.
0: I I do, too. LinkedIn, you you have to warm up that connection on on LinkedIn, I think. And a lot of that is going and and, and liking their content or commenting on their content and and building up a relationship. Cold emailing is a little bit different. Uh, Cold emailing, I'm just like everyone's fair game. And and also send emails to just about anyone. And I have been uh, guilty of of spamming people with email uh, myself. And, you know, so be it. it. It actually does kind
1: of work if you do it right. And Matt Henning says, I am tempted to publicly shame some of the people that send me the absolute craptastic sales emails I get on a daily <laughs> basis. I usually black out the names. I mean, you know, I don't know where they are at in their sales career, but I don't think it's very uh, successful. But you know, it could be a sales hot tip. Let's get to one. Sales, sales hot tip. Boom. Oh, Emily says she has no shame in putting people on blast. LinkedIn should be used for strictly business. Yes, Emily. I agree. Well, a little fun, but not like not inappropriate (laughs) sort of fun, especially things that would make people uncomfortable. LinkedIn also, you know, when LinkedIn Uh, needs to let you do, Kevin, LinkedIn needs to let you block company pages. There are too many political company pages that people either comment on because they're arguing with it or commenting on because they like it. And it's just annoying because stuff like, I don't know, Nashville Tea Party keeps ending up in my feed. There's there's ones on the liberal side, too. Like, I just don't want to see that garbage, man.
0: Yeah, I don't don't want to see it, too. And and it's becoming a a little bit too political in LinkedIn. And we're coming up against an election, so it makes it even worse. Uh, But, yeah, I don't want to see any politics. I don't want to see any hot-button issues, you know, culture wars I don't care about. All I care about, like, my background right here behind me, making it rain, getting money. That's the reason why
1: I go on LinkedIn. Wow. And he says, I like the people that ping me here and promise to get me more LinkedIn connections. When I have 10,000 times their followers. Yes, well. <laughs> you
0: get, you I, again, yeah, yeah, I get those too. I, I get, you know, let, let me beef up your
1: LinkedIn connections. I'm like, well, I, I do that pretty good on my own. And Robert Boosie says a lot of bots, a lot of bots find him attractive. They have been uh, hitting on him. And Wayne Craig says he has 58 marriage proposals on TikTok. Wow, <laughs> TikTok, what can it do? Uh, you know
0: what? That's what Jansen gets you, though, Wayne. If you're dancing on TikTok and posting
1: that out, you're going to get a lot of marriage proposals. Yeah, and Liz Wade says, "I, I, oh my god, I can't take the National Tea Party post anymore." Yeah, unless you're like really indoctrinated into what they're going with, it's really annoying to see in your feed. I wish, I really wish LinkedIn would allow people to block them. But here's a sales hot tip from a site that I go on more often now than LinkedIn because uh, I just enjoy it. Twitter, it's more fun. Information's faster. I like LinkedIn too. I'm not abandoning mm-hmm. you guys. I just like. I'm more into Twitter at the moment, but it's Alex Lieberman. He's going to be on What the Truck. He's the founder of The Morning Brew. By the way, speaking of newsletters, Kevin, check your inbox if you're subscribed to FreightWaves newsletters, because there's going to be a What the Truck newsletter dropping today at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Then that'll uh, go out on the FreightWaves TV news feed. If you like it, be sure to subscribe to it. But uh, it's penned by myself and, uh, you know, trying to bring a little personality into some of these newsletters. But as Alex says, Alex Lieberman, he says, every creator is a collection of brands. And I thought this was really good, a really good way to frame your thinking when you're thinking about marketing yourself. You can, you have many things that you th- think and talk about. I don't have to just be Alex Lieberman, the media entrepreneur. I can be Alex, the marketer, Alex, the angel investor, Alex, the business taste maker. Think about your portfolio holistically. So as you're thinking about the different things you do and the different way you service your audience or your clients or your business, market them appropriately and segment them appropriately.
0: Yeah, it's, it's all these hats that you wear. You know, especially as an entrepreneur, all these hats you wear. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Definitely. There's different tactics and, and different methods for, for doing it, whether you're you're an angel investor, if you're marketing your newsletter. There's just different methods and tactics to use, and, and everyone, even if you're just doing your one sales job, there's different tactics for, for different kind of opportunities and different customers. And we're going to be talking about shipping bids uh, today, and that's a different way to market yourself than maybe you know, going out and looking for spot loads or one-time transactions. Uh, There's there's a broad range of of different activities.
1: Josh does agree. I want to be able to block uh, political BS pages. Yeah, I mean, just simply let people block company pages. I mean, it should... Mm-hmm. You should be able to exercise that right because my only recourse, and I'm sure a lot of people hear the same recourse, is that if I see one of my connections like one of those posts or, or or you know, communicate with them and I'm not really close with them or I don't know them that well, I just block that person because they're the one that brought that into my feed. So that, and it's on a social site, your, your recourse should not be against the users of the site. The recourse should at least be, like, there should be a layer above it, which are the companies, and you can just block those first. And I, I know LinkedIn originally started as a business site and business pages were supposed to be a bigger deal, but that's... Completely changed. you know, LinkedIn, the hardest place to get traction now is on business pages.
0: It, it is. and and you're talking about the recourse and having to to unfollow or uh, unsee that that person's posts. You know, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather block the, the the company pages or the organization's pages, but that that's the only option now, and I do do that. And I'm hoping the algorithm will sometime it was in some way in the future, realize I don't want to see political posts. I don't want to see the Tea Party. I don't want to see the liberal activist groups. I don't want to see anything except for things that like the background behind me again. will make it rain
1: money. Yeah, man, keep moving forward. When you, when you have to stop to argue it wastes time. And uh Matt Henning though, this is becoming like LoveLine. Put that coffee down, LoveLine. He's saying you'll get more proposals than ever if you make a delivery to a woman's prison one time. <laughs> What sister? One time uh, and the inmates can identify a mailing address to your truck. Truth. Wow. I, 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 I never knew. I never knew.
0: <laughs> I, I, I never knew either. It reminds me of George Costanza dating the inmate in, in the episode of
1: Seinfeld. You've received a call. No drop in. You've received a call yeah. from an inmate in a correctional facility. <laughs> Calling now Wayne Craig. All right, here's a quote. Let's get into business because this is, this is a topic that is, uh, it's a fun one. And like we said in the beginning, it's, it's, it's filled with both heartbreak and pain. Sometimes with the losses and with the wins, because sometimes you lose a bit, right? And you're like. You know what? Thinking about it in hindsight, we really got our eyes got too big. There would have been more on our plate. We couldn't have done it. It's a good thing that one fell through. And there's other times where you're like, shoot, we just kind of expanded to make room for that one. So we'll get into it, but let's start out with a quote. This one kind of, uh, it's from Armageddon, but, but it kind of describes the freight industry. You realize we're sitting on 45,000 pounds of fuel, one nuclear warhead, and the thing. And the thing that has 270,000 moving parts built by the lowest bidder. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? And that was Rockhound. is played by Steve Buscemi in Armageddon.
0: Always those lowest bidders. Be careful. I know. The lowest bidders. Be careful. Be careful what you pay for. The lowest bidders, you get the worst service, the worst worst quality in in most cases. And, And Steve Buscemi, one of my favorite actors of all time. Great line.
1: Kesha, she says, I have a friend at a major beverage company that is involved in the process of awarding carriers lanes for the year. He never goes with the cheapest rate because he knows it will lead to the worst service. He chooses carrier number four, or number five on the list and hopes you will see consistent capacity and uh, good service. It's probably more scientific than number four and five, but I, I get what she's getting at there. Patty says, she says she said, it feels like every year we keep going round and round until someone finally lowers their rates trying to win business, only to reject the loads when awarded and they'll lose money. Wow, that really describes the process. And then Liz Wayne says, the worst part is, when service expectations aren't spelled out and that's a great point too because a lot of times you'll be bidding somebody but it's not apples to apples because they're not putting accessorials or they're not putting fuel service charges they're doing really underhanded things they're just putting the per mile rate right? there's so many different ways to skin the cat and for someone else to kind of screw you with the rfp process in order to control that that's usually on the shipper right to to make get very specific on what you have to outline in the bid process
0: it is up to the shipper, but as you know, Duner, a lot of shippers don't do a very good job at that, right? So, so you don't have the access oils. You can't really compare apples to apples. So you get in a situation that, that Patty describes, and Patty and I have, have done bids together uh, in the past where the, that's the case. You know, you're even, to, to win it, you're, you're lowering your price to win it, or someone else is doing that, and then all of a sudden you can't execute them, the other people can't execute them. And you know one of one of the really good things about bids sometimes when you lose that initial bid and you get a call maybe a month or so later uh, because you were runner up or the third person in and you know Keisha's uh, you know you picking the fourth or fifth bidder you know that that finally eventually happens sometimes especially on, on those tough to cover lines.
1: So, Kevin, one of the first things you have to know before you put out a big bid is, uh, you know, how much to bid, right? So, true or false, Mm -hmm. both shippers and carriers or 3PL should benchmark the market before putting bids out there.
0: Uh, True. Of course, right? You should be benchmarking the market. You should know what the, the, the prices should be, and, you know, if this is, if you get bids that, or to your advantage, or under your benchmark, you need to start, if you're a shipper, right, you need to start peeling back the onion and seeing about the access oils, the service levels, really testing those out, and if it's above the benchmark, uh, you, you kind of have to do the same thing, uh, but, uh, you know, if you're above the benchmark, usually you have to have a pretty good relationship and been moving loads with with that shipper to, to really stand a, a chance sometimes.
1: Jake McLeod says a good salesperson really digs deep and asks all the questions to vet out the opportunity. I would agree with him on this, except I've also been part of RFQ process where you're talking to someone on the other end of the table. Even though, like, you know, you do bids with them year after year, it seems like they still don't get that there are many factors that go into the cost of freight. And it doesn't it doesn't start at the uh, at the rate. It, 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 It starts at the bottom line or it ends at the bottom line. And those are those two numbers can be significantly different.
0: Yeah, they're very much significantly different, and sometimes uh, the person that you're talking to may mean, may not be the ultimate decision maker. Though there's a lot of un- or there's just a lot of hidden questions that a lot of freight brokers don't ask uh, about the bidding process and some of the dynamics that are going. Behind the scenes, right? Who's really the ultimate decision maker? Is a, a committee? What are they really? The, the shipper what are they really looking for? And a lot of times, uh, we're, we're just happy if we get sent an Excel sheet with hundreds of lengths. We th- we think that we've won, that we've beat the process if we do that, but we don't understand those dynamics, those hidden type of, of variables that that we're not we're not. Um, asking the right questions and following up and getting the, the the information we
1: need to win the bid. Brett Startley says I never bid on price. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I'm mentioning benchmark here. That's sort of, the uh the genesis of your process that's where you should start and you should understand things like like the market you should understand uh growth of the market growth of the company you're dealing with on both sides you should i mean these and the reason i like this is it works for both the shipper and the carrier or the 3pl because they're both things both sides should know uh you know and you just switch the perspective here but market growth of the company forecast you want to know capacity right you want to know you do want to know rates because you do have to have pricing but you also want to know technology and you want to know things like compliance too how many nuclear verdicts do we talk about make compliance a big factor I don't know, you don't see compliance that often in the bids until you're dealing with some of the bigger companies with a lot of exposure.
0: Yeah, You don't really get into the vetting and compliance a lot of times and what quality carriers that you have. And that's part of, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago, driving value, right? Drive Price versus value. We've done a couple of episodes on that. And this is where the driving value really helps you in the bidding process. And there's many ways you can drive value that it isn't particularly you know, on the execution of a load, but also just staying connected with the shippers.
1: Michelle Spanier. she says if we choose the right providers from the beginning, partnerships will be created, and the volatility would be lower, and the spot market, wouldn't be so extreme. It sounds a bit like a, a utopia. <laughs> that's, it that's, does, yeah. <laughs> it's so reactive. I mean, this year has been such a microcosm of it, too. So much so that when we're doing the show, we are fully aware that actually going into an RFP process, you know, some people are like, why would you do a show in contract bids right now when it's really not even that great of an idea to do a contract bid? And they're not wrong. Right now isn't the best the best idea to do a contract bid and that's why mini bids have gotten really popular in this period but still there are fundamentals that work in both environments
0: yeah you know and and mini bids so the interesting thing and we just wrote a research paper recently about that and i think you can find that on the the blog um and download that white paper and because this is is 2020 has been a, a year of about four different markets right I mean sub dollar rates we were talking about back in April and May and now we're talking about three dollars on average uh, spot rates and OTRI try you know tender rejections at north of twenty five percent so one out of every four loads are being rejected so many bids are a hot topic right now you know and those are typically between one and three months kind of adjustments in price but but let's go off the, the, the regular bids. Whether it's a mini bid or whether it's an annual bid, they're, they're both going on right now. You know, It might not be a good idea. You might not be able to block in rates um, for, for more than a two or three months. So the market might turn in the first quarter. Who knows? But bids are still going to be executed. I mean, shippers are still going to be looking for contracted rates, no matter what the market's doing.
1: Gray West brings up a great point and we talk about benchmarking. Well, a lot of times you are getting benchmarked so that they know what to tell their buddy. He says, the worst is winning on pricing and then finding out that the manager in charge let their buddy match my rates after the fact. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard to defend by that. And a lot of times you will. And it's, you have to sniff out those opportunities and it can be tough. It can be tough. And you, you know, it's very strategic getting into a bid process. Uh, I'll tell you a story. I used to work for this 4PL and we, Even though we were a small company, we had convinced um, a large German uh, manufacturer to let us be involved in the process. And this thing, Kevin, it took months. We were a 10-person operation. It took six of us to get involved. Uh, Strategically, the only reason we even stayed in it is that it just seemed like we had a chance. Our margins were looking so much better than what the competitors were doing. And part of it was because we were coming from a freight agnostic 4PL standpoint versus 3PL standpoint and their freight exposure just happened to be so that we could optimize their lanes amongst a number of different partners that uh, we had vetted and that we had trusted. But the problem is we weren't that big brand name company and that big brand name company, even though this was a ton of freight we're talking about, Still, won out over us. It was kind of devastating, but it was also kind of a relief at the same time. Because had we got that account, that would have meant we would have had to expand our office rapidly, like three by, by three times. we have had to go up to like twenty-five, thirty people just to service this account.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've ran into that a lot of times. If, if you don't have that that relationship or that brand name, oftentimes uh, shippers will invite you to a bid just to play, play, show, play, like. Four or five different 3PLs and carriers off of one another, right? To, to get better concessions, to, to get better pricing uh, in, in their lanes. So you find that a lot of times, especially the first time you get invited to a bid, it's oftentimes it's just to test you out, right? Just to test you out. And then you have to wait, you know, six months to a year later to, to really stand a chance on this the second round of that. But you have to keep that relationship going. Over that that time frame, whether you're moving freight with them or not, hopefully you can pick up some spot freight here and there to, to prove your worth. But uh, you know, a lot of times that they're just playing, you know, the, the smaller guys off the bigger guys to to, to get better concessions on 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 parts. And certainly, in, in my case, parts of the contract that, that we couldn't offer value added service, right? Whether it's warehousing or or maybe drayage, things like that, we we just couldn't offer. We we did really good at, at over the road trucking. And that they used us to, to, to get better concessions and pricings off the big guys.
1: You know, and that is the first point in the blog on Sonar that is talking about contract bids. And it talks about how the shipping bid process is long. And I think that's a little bit deeper than just thinking about one bid. As you had mentioned, that, that big uh, German bid we were doing – then after you get out and you have the heartbreak at the end, as you mentioned, part of it is the company vetting you, seeing if you can make it through. You have to prove yourself. So not only is it a long bid process within the year that you are doing it, but in order to be included and throw your hat in the ring in future years, if you decide to be, if you strategically decide to do that, and I, I say strategically because of the resources that these things do take. But if you strategically decide to do it, this could be a two, three, five-year process. You might have to keep going out to the woodshed.
0: Yeah, you, you, the first year you might get zero. The second year you might get about 10% of what you expect. And usually, if you're a freight broker or a 3PL, it's going to be the worst lanes, right? And, and it's going to be the most difficult to cover. And maybe that third year you start creeping up and you start being a preferred transportation vendor. It's a long game, you know, in, in, to, in, in the macro sense. In the micro sense, it's a long game, too, because, you know, how many people out there have, have, have submitted their bids, don't hear anything. You keep on following up, following up, following up, and shippers all the time uh, complain about freight brokers uh, contacting them too much. But if, if you're not going to communicate uh, and give out a really clear timeline of benchmarks and expectations of, of when this bid is going to be complete and we're going to be notified and why you're going to, you know, why you're going to be accepted or rejected on this, uh, it's, it's our job to keep following up to put the pressure on, on you because, uh, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot in the sales funnel uh, on the line for it. So you have that. I mean, in the micro sense, each bid cycle could be three months from the time you sit down with that Excel sheet of 100 lanes uh, to the time you learn if you were awarded these or not. And then it could be a couple months before you even see any freight
1: from it at all. I have a question for the sales managers that may be, may be watching or listening. When you have a – see, when I was a rep, I was always kind of trepidatious about getting involved in these really long bids because it would take – Me out of going and doing some of the smaller, more winnable bids. I, I, you know, it's like going for that big grand slam at the end of the game. But when you're a junior rep, you're just trying to build up your book of business. Having that much time consumed can be detrimental, almost dangerous. And you know, if you if it takes up too too much of your time, you're the one who's going to end up out the door when that bid doesn't go through. So I'm curious how the managers uh, navigate that. How they let their reps be involved with that while also realizing that they may not be able to focus on some of those easier transactions at the same time. That's always sort of the quandary, right? Yeah, especially for
0: a small brokerage where it's cradle to the grave and you're responsible for pricing all those lanes, you know, cementing those bids. You know, For the larger guys, you, you have a bidding department and pricing department, uh, which takes some of the pressure off. You just get the bids, you hand it off, and then you try to get other bids, other bids, other bids. So if you have it structured like that, uh, it might be. Uh, it's going to be much easier uh, for your junior reps or, or, or regular sales reps to, to be able to, to keep on bringing in the bids. But sometimes, and I worked for a small brokerage uh, at the time, and I was pretty well responsible for you know going in and looking up all the prices of lanes that I'd never touched that I I, I had no idea you know if my pricing was in in reality or not.
1: Let's call Michael Fulham up. He's the executive vice president at Reed TMS. He's going to walk us through his understanding of this whole winning bids and this bid process. We're uh, excited to bring him up on the air. T-minus
2: 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence starts. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, (coughs) 0. All engine running. Yeah. Lift off be
1: inspired, prepare to be inspired, Michael Fulham is here. Michael, thank you for taking a little time out of your Wednesday to to enjoy us and to join us in the middle of the week. Good afternoon, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Let me turn you up just a little bit. You sound a little muffled over there. Okay, is that a little better? A little bit, a little bit. Um, are, do you have, uh, what are you talking to the phone on? Just Are you just using your mouth? Yep, just, just my mouth. Okay. No, that's, that's a little, I meant like, did you have ear pods in or, or some headphones or something? <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, you are a little muffled. That's that's unfortunate. Uh Kevin, are you hearing him okay? Hey Michael, say something. <laughs> hey no, Kevin, Kevin, can you try not to cough when the guest is talking? Thank you.
0: I I I, I will try not to. Thank you. Can you guys hear
1: me? or can't hear? Yeah, you're better now. You're in better yeah, now. So yeah, yeah. He's the executive vice president, Reed TMS, a leading asset-based 3PL enhancing oh. transportation networks. He calls himself a servant, an innovator, a team player, and a father. He's a LaSalle <laughs> explorer, which was home to. By the way, do you know? Do you know these alumni went to uh, to your school? Peter Boyle, right? The Emmy Award winning actor. Joe Bryant, I basketball. Joe Bryant, the basketball coach and father of Kobe Bryant, RIP. Actually, yep. remember Kobe was like the beginning of a kickoff of a very bad year. That was like pre-COVID. yeah. We like to uh, we like to
2: claim Philadelphia, so Kobe Bryant so in Philadelphia. Yeah.
1: Mm. You know, Michael, th- this uh, this phone connection is just not so hot. Can, do you have a pair of headphones or something I can call you back? Do you have a headphones or earpods or something you can put in? Oh, uh, I do. I will. Uh, or a landline? Yeah. Let me see what I can do about that. Uh, Give me a minute here. Yeah. Dial. Dial me back. Dial me back on this number I called you on. Okay. Okay, Very good. take it easy, Kevin. Let's get back into a few things here. That was a little bit. Uh, he's going to be a great guest, but that was that was just not good enough for uh, yeah. for broadcast.
0: Understood. Yes, we'll give him back on the line here, and I will. Uh... Ke- Ke- Kevin, Sorry, I, 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 I took a drink and um, just went t- down the wrong pipe. So oh, okay. even though I'm garbled now. All right,
1: just point your mouth away from the mic. Number two is stay connected with shippers. What, what does that point mean to you?
0: It means content marketing, right? It means having a value add, even if you're not executing the freight, <clears throat> because when the bid process comes in again, you got to be front mind. You, you have oh, to be able to thought. do that. Oh, Kevin, Kevin, hold that thought,
1: Kevin, hold that thought. I don't know. Hey, Michael. Oh, hold on, let me pull him up here. Hey, Michael. Hey, Michael. Is this better? Yeah, that is way is this better. better? That is way better. Okay, good. Now we sound like we're on the same planet. Kevin uh, Kevin needs to compose himself a little bit on the other end. I'm not sure what he did. But uh, Matthew Quick. Matthew Quick, the other one, is the author of Silver Linings Playbook. He was the other alumni that went to LaSalle. Thanks for joining us. We uh, Let's do an elevator pitch with you. you got 30 seconds. Tell us a little bit about what you do in freight. Well, uh, I started with
2: C.H. Robinson. I was a them for roughly 11 years. I joined Ray TMS about two years ago. It's a private family owned business. Um, with an asset division so we have brokerage and assets and we believe that there's some um, specific and niche value uh, for surface transportation in the United States by marrying assets with brokerage um, and that's really from an end-to-end standpoint so I joined the company two years ago oh. I'm having a great
1: time all right well you you, you took a, one second too long but you did a pretty good job what do you think Kevin
0: I think it was a great job. Um, and Michael's at re Logistics now. He, he, you started out your career at C.H. Robinson too, so you have a, a deep experience in, in getting contract contract freight during shipping bids, right?
1: Yep. Cool. What are you seeing from shippers this bid season, Michael?
2: It's a tough year. I mean, it's a tough year, and I think a, a lot of the points you guys are making are true. Um, I did read through some of the comments on LinkedIn And a lot of the things that we've brought up are things that we deal with every day. I think one of the things that's challenging is that uh, there's only so much a 3PL and a carrier can control. A lot of how fruitful an RFP can be or how reliable an RFP can be throughout the duration of the contract is dependent on what the shipper does. Uh, The timing of the bid, whether it's a reverse auction or if it's multiple rounds, um and I think I think we can only control so much. So what do we do to, to control things? We look at analytics, right? And you guys talked about that a little bit. We try to forecast, we try to understand how violent market fluctuations might be in a specific lane and or any O D pair. But I think some of the things that, that are challenging in today's environment is that those analytics are only reliable if unforeseen things in the environment don't happen. And twenty twenty we have a pandemic. Hurricane Katrina years ago really disturbed the market. And these things no analytical algorithm can forecast. And I think that's when relationships start to break down and things become even more challenging. So as we enter the RFP season in twenty twenty, or the tail end of twenty twenty, we're facing an election, a very polarizing election. We're coming out of a pandemic, one could hope. Um, so freight rates are high right now. The supply and demand balance is, is still challenging. So going into this RFP season, do you get aggressive or do you take a step back and try to see how the market presents itself in early 2021? These are challenges we're dealing with every day. And, and unfortunately, you know we don't have specific answers to it. We just have tactics that we think um, help us most in this environment.
1: By the way, Kevin, uh, Kevin, Rhonda has some advice from you. Uh, she says, hold your arms up, Kevin, if you feel like you're going to cough again. So just put that in your uh, in your coat pocket and carry it around with you. Carry on. Like this?
0: <laughs> Shoulder up? I, I don't know. <clears throat> so, so so Michael, um, we were talking about, Duna and I were talking about benchmarking and benchmarking rates uh, a few minutes ago. What are you seeing with shippers and, and benchmarking in 2020, which has been a, a wild year?
2: Well, I mean, we're doing our own benchmarking, and with some of our strategic relationships, we're able to interact with the customers and carriers and get their feedback. So you're applying an analytical benchmark, but you're also using um, real feedback from the partners. And I think right now, you had mentioned it earlier, one of the things we're seeing most. Uh, and we're still a little bit early in the bid season, but there was uh, quite a few that we've been dealing with over the past month or two, is mini-bids. Mini-bids are coming out constantly, and I think what's happening is that the shippers are trying to gauge if there's been a change in the market, because many of those mini-bids still have an annual duration. So whereas you might might expect a mini-bid to be a month or two or just a season, they're still asking for annual rates. So I think the shippers are experiencing um, legitimate challenges, not just achieving their budgeted goals from a financial standpoint, but achieving uh, service. So Mike, I think...
1: Go ahead. So, Mike, I was going to say, Amanda brings up a really good point about strategy. It's what we were talking about earlier, and I think it's the quandary that every single salesperson faces when they decide if they want to get into one of these bids or not. And she says, for me personally, it is the time loss, and I can totally empathize with that. She takes every bid, no matter how large or small, seriously, and puts a lot of effort into balancing historical data, her carrier base in certain lanes, and trying to play suit-sayer. So the uh So they get a realistic forecast for the freight spent. The RFP process can be draining intellectual. I get that it's a necessary evil, but it's probably worse for those who have to dig through All of the submissions. I posed this question How many RFQs are too many to dig through? Is there a a finite answer to that? Is there a real answer?
2: No, I don't think there's a real answer. I think my suggestion would be that, uh, in my experience, and I can only speak to my experience, showing restraint can actually enhance your credibility with a shipper. Um, I think too often, especially over the past 10 years, through deals, get an RFP. They apply a rate to literally every lane. And I don't think that that helps with credibility. I think more often than not, saying that only this portion of your bid suits us, we're very strong here, and we're only going to bid this, is an avenue to manage your time, but also uh, show credibility to the shipper that if you're taking them seriously, you're not going to swing for the fences. You're going to stay focused to your core competency and you're going you're gonna to commit and, and see the contract through. Um, so I don't think that Participating in every lane and every RFP uh, is the best route to determine a number. I think it depends on the size and scale of your organization.
0: So, so if you get a hundred lanes, pick pick the twenty that you're the strongest at, and and go 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 into that. Stick with your niche. Stick stick with what you know. Stick with what you you can win. Is that is that the message?
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's part of the shipper strategy as well. I mean, we're starting to see not just big shippers, but intermediate and smaller size shippers, trying to regionalize their provider base. So, you know, they've they've been trying to whittle out, instead of having 50 providers, they might only do 25, but they're also trying to regionalize their providers. So the the carriers are performing in a focused place within their transportation chain. Um, And I think that's appreciated. So when you look at an RFP that might be national, uh, you know, we're very strong in the Southeast, we might go a little bit more aggressive and more focused in the southeast, and let maybe some other freight go. And maybe year two or year three, we'll we'll try to expand into that area. But swinging for the fences, that I haven't had a lot of luck with that.
1: Now, Michael, when we talk about these mini bids, are those coming at uh, much higher velocity than your traditional RFP RFQ? Or are they sp- are they spread out more differently? How are you managing those versus? your traditional RFP? Because all of these things are time-soaks, and she mentioned she mentioned time, so it might take a slightly tweaked strategy. Although, I'm kind of a fan of the mini bids too.
2: Well, the mini bid process, we're definitely seeing them more
1: frequently. Uh, that's a fact.
2: We're, we're seeing a lot more of them recently than we ever have before, so do so we just funnel them through our analytics and pricing department and have them do 100 bids a day? No, it's just not sustainable. So what we'll do is we'll We'll utilize tools like Sonar. We are a Sonar user, um, along with a lot of other internal and external um, data uh, centers. We'll use that information to have kind of a baseline. And then we'll look at the RFP and say, okay, apply the, the baseline and polish. That way, instead of putting three hours into an RFP or two days into an RFP, it's really just making minor adjustments. So that kind of streamlines the process for us, but we are seeing them more frequently, and it's something that we have to deal with. What are
0: some of the the the, the 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 questions that are must must do questions, right? Some of the the, the kind of hidden variables that uh, really aren't found strictly in the RFP and those materials, but maybe in the decision making process, maybe in the timeline process to to, to really be able to uh, stay proactive during the bid.
2: That's a good question. Uh, I think I'm not trying to dodge it because every shipper's RFP is a little bit different. Some of them are, are very well done, very calculated, very sophisticated, where they're giving each carrier face time. They're asking them where they're strong. They have infrastructure in place that not only do you get penalized for poor performance, but you get rewarded for exceptional performance. They ask you what your goals are and, and what your goals with them are. And in those conversations, really, the, the catalyst is a face-to-face conversation or a conversation to explore more over the phone. And today, we're noticing more and more shippers going to more of a, a silent bid process. So I think it's it's less about the question. It's more about doing your best to demand a conversation. Because in that conversation, uh, I, I think shippers are, are fairly transparent if you get the conversation. The challenge is that a lot of them won't allow it. And... In our industry, especially in the brokerage space, we look at RFPs and we get excited and we apply rates to it. So their level of participation from their viewpoint is probably more than the actual capacity available, the actual commitment available. So I think you need to focus on getting the conversation and not just applying rates and and going through the bid process. When you do get that conversation, I think you have to quantify uh what their what their performance expectations are specifically on tender acceptance, uh rate adjustments, contingency plans, if there's an environmental factor, um, an unforeseen one, i.e. a pandemic. In some cases, brokers are relied upon to absorb losses. Uh your contract, you gotta commit to it, this is the price. Um and I think sometimes you have to have that conversation and say, listen, if the market goes nuts, and we start losing a ton of money, there's a threshold. There's a threshold where we're going to have to come back and say, our business can't withstand this. And if you have that upfront contract, that upfront conversation with them, I think it can make the duration of the bid a little bit easier. But those are some of the questions we want to understand, because that helps us evaluate our exposure.
1: So we take all this time to put these bids together, right? And we, we, we go through the whole strategy process. We do the benchmarking. We decide, hey, you know what? And for me, my process was my, my watermark was if I can sleep at night and there's a part of me that's like, oh, if I didn't jump in there, there was a chance we could get it, then I got to go in. But if it's like, you know what? That's too pie in the sky. You got to back off of it. But you do all this work. You put it together. How do you stick the landing? How do you package and present these bids? How are you going about that?
2: Um, it depends. with customers. We're definitely spending more time. Um, having them understand who we are and how we operate a little bit about our culture. So we're putting together uh, more of a complete proposal package. Um, you know, we've, we're still going through contracts at the front end of it, but if it's if it's uh, a customer that we've already been working with, it's more about historical performance. What did they like about us? What did they not like about us? And how can we improve? I think that's the conversation that the, the shippers enjoy the most because uh, they want to perform better each year, and we want to perform better for them. So when we try to stick the landing, I think it's about how we need to improve on their behalf.
0: So uh, you recently uh, wrote an article for Freight Waves uh, that, that we published uh, back in August uh, about uh, the title of it was OK 2020 You Win, and it was all about the volatile market and in really contract and spot opportunities, but you have a strategy for, you laid out a strategy for contract bidding, or really the entire contract process. Can you uh, explain that, Michael?
2: Yeah. And I think it starts with where we're at as, you know, an industry, but more beyond that, just an economy, everything's driven by data. We have way more data, way more access to it, and it's in real time. And I think that the fact that we have access to data allows for us to engage with customers differently, um, and I think the RFP process is necessary as it might be, and you know shippers need it. They need to be able to forecast. They need to be able to budget, and an RFP is a great way to accomplish it. But I think most shippers would admit that there's some consequences to an RFP process. Usually, it's service, um, just dealing with givebacks, and I think what drives the givebacks is that there was a time when the bid rates were submitted and six months later something happens in this case it was a pandemic and the market flips mm-hmm. and the carriers are putting themselves in harm way the 3PO's are absorbing losses unless they get rate, rate increases and a conversation needs to be had and then in that conversation it demands people go to have <laughs> these conversations to get their rate adjusted It takes time, energy, bandwidth. It takes away from performance and managing uh, the pandemic itself. Nick Dangles. I think that there's there's better ways to do it. Um, And one of the the things that I think makes it possible is the data we have today. Uh, There's things that you can put in place that are dynamic pricing. Pricing that might have the boundaries to provide a shipper with a budget, the controls to provide a shipper with the intelligence they need to move forward through that year, but it also provides the flexibility for the carriers to stay committed and be able to withstand the things that you can't predict.
1: Nick Dangle says, IMO, it's important to have pre-bid conversations with the customers to decide if it's going to be a good fit. If you're a small broker and price is the deciding factor, maybe you don't want to waste your time. If incumbency is a big factor, that has a big impact on your pricing and whether you participate. Hey, I'm gonna play a I'm gonna play a sound for for Michael and Kevin. You guys, tell me if you know what this is. Yeah, that's a ghost because it's called getting ghosted, right? People, here. <laughs> People it. Hear, right? haunted house. A this tells me. Well, here's the thing. At least with that ghost, you can tell it's there. With the real ghost, when you get ditched on a bid, you don't hear nothing, right? It's echoes out in the valley. Actually, no echoes. It's just a dead, silent incubation chamber of nothing but a black hole. So before going in that black hole, right? So if you're getting ghosted, how? what do you do? When do you give up on the bid? When do you give up on contacting them back? And can you have a Lazarus moment and bring the bid back? How about, I, how about I, I speak to the people that are listening that are either an owner-operator, a
2: carrier, or an asset player, broker, or whatever. We still, we're in this industry to make money, and we do a very important job to the economy. Without ground transportation, we wouldn't be able to get the things the way we want them. And when you move freight, there's liability, there's risk, and it's a tough job. It's a very tough job. If there's a customer that wants to engage with you and they won't have a pre-bid conversation and they're just showing you an RFP, I I would suggest not participating. Because what happens when that RFP breaks down? What happens when there's a claim? What happens when things that go uh, A-wire in in transportation, can you count on a conversation? Do you understand what their requirements are? Do you know how to provide the service they're asking for? So what i would suggest is remember that we are as important as the customer and if you're not getting the things you need as a service provider to provide the service don't engage
0: that is a that's an excellent point and i i, I always go back to this and i was talking to uh to adrian chapman who's a, a recruiter in the industry uh, about you know recruiting trends and things like that on on his new podcast uh they'll be out in a couple weeks but Prospecting, prospecting, prospecting. If you have twenty bids or twenty bid opportunities, then you can have those conversations, like like Michael just described. You can see if it's a really good fit, and if it's not, you can you can ignore it. You know, you can ghost them before they ghost you, I suppose. Right? Um, you, you want to find. You know you want to find those opportunities where you think you have a chance you have good communication because uh, as as Michael said as as well things go wrong in transportation and things start going wrong uh, if you if you win the bid uh, then you know the communication channel is not going to get any better if you win the business but it all goes back to to prospecting and have a, a lot of options and opportunities to where you can strategically go and and pour the most effort into into those opportunities that, that you think will pay off, that have good communication, that you think you will be able to to develop a long term, lasting relationship, and uh, and what are your thoughts on that, Michael? Yeah,
2: I think having a pipeline is super important. Uh, always having a pipeline full is super important, and understanding that the, the the pipeline, the fruit from that pipeline might not be six, nine, twelve months down the line, and you don't know what's going to happen six, nine, twelve months down the line. So having a a thorough pipeline is very important. But I think you also have to understand um, the ebbs and flows of the business. And at times, a, a provider may be kicked out of a shipper. And then a year later, they're allowed back in because a new salesperson gave them a call. Um, so what I would say is, is remember your previous engagements. Don't just build a pipeline full of uh, what you perceive to be opportunity. Know that it's opportunity. You know, know that, that, that the pipeline you're building is of quality. And the more time you spend on that quality, the more fruitful it will become and the less likely you are to get ghosted or participate in an RFP with unfair expectations or just getting caught up in the unfortunate consequences of RFPs. Um, the pipeline's important, but quality of the pipeline is very important.
1: J- Jason Eckert says, if the shipper won't have a pre-bid, Or even during the pre bid conversation with you, you might be a data point. Catherine Whitehouse says, uh, she's had a few bids go in that black hole swimming around in there. Josh Hempstead, though, he brings up a really good point. He brings up, especially if you have like a marketing brain, everything's marketing. He says, I truly believe that even when you lose a bid, the relationship you are building is even more important. Just because you lost the first bid, it does not mean you will lose. The next one. So behave and act accordingly. This is a chance to to prove yourself. You just have to have a long view. And sometimes that is hard to have in freight sales where your job is always on the line every quarter. And one bad quarter can, can mean you're getting that email or that Slack message to bring in your cell phone and your laptop, take the playbook to the coach, and get your ass out the door.
2: <laughs> yeah, that is the truth. That is the truth. You know, I think, I think in regards to that... that So when we do benchmarking, we use analytical tools to suggest that this might be the the, the high end of the cost. This might be the low end of the cost. This might be the mid-range. If I'm engaging with a customer that I don't feel very interested, you know, if I'm on a date and she doesn't seem very interested, I'm probably not going to buy her the filet mignon. If she's very interested, I I might get the filet mignon. So if a shipper is truly engaged and they're giving you the communication you need to put your best foot forward, then the data point that you can give them might be on the lower side. It might be on the more aggressive side. If you have the sense that you're just going to be a data point, don't give them the low. Give them the move, the high. Um, that, that's what I would do. Yeah,
0: one of the things we're talking about shippers and and, and focusing on shippers right now on the bids. Uh, there's one more point uh, that I want to get in and get get your reaction to. Michael is is to to win these bids. A lot of times, always be building your carrier network, right? Mm-hmm. Always be building that carrier network so you can can have the the market rates, real really good market rates, and the relationships to execute those freight that that freight uh, whenever you win it, right?
2: Yeah, it's the, it's the chicken or the egg, right? Do you get the load first and bring the carrier next, or do you get the carrier first and find the loads? And I think in terms of conduct or any RFP, it's very important, especially if you're a 3PL to engage your preferred carriers that you rely on, you have a long-term relationship with, because you can have the conversation with the carrier and say, what are your goals next to you? Are you trying to expand the fleet? Are you trying to improve profitability? Are you trying to get both? Um, and have those conversations and then say, okay, what do you need? Because I'm going to have 100 RFPs in the next three weeks, and I can apply uh, specifically your rates or your expectations to these RFPs and try to help you grow your business. And I think you need to do both, right? You need to understand the market, you need to forecast, and you need to put some freight on the board and get it covered and build your base that way. But I think more importantly, you have to look within your, your preferred carrier network and ask them what they want and bring that to market. Hey, Michael. Because more often than not, yeah.
1: Well, you mentioned the chicken and the egg, and i got I got to stop you for a second here. Do you ever, this is a question that came up on What the Truck, and it also came up on Trucking Twitter, so uh, since you, you brought it up, i got to bring it up to you. Do you think that you've ever eaten a chicken that's laid an egg that you've also eaten? That's a good question. It's a really good question.
2: No. I don't think I have, but I bet there are people that have done
1: that. <laughs> Mike, Mike, I, my... I have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you 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 lived in Oklahoma. You were you're like a farm boy, aren't you? Yeah, we we had chickens, so
0: I had to go out and collect the eggs, and and you know, and I had to take them to the tree tree trunk and 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 watch uh watch watch my grandmother or my grandma, uh, or both actually, uh, chop the head off. Jeez. And then, oh, and then nice. chase, us or chase the kids around the the yard for a couple of minutes. Seriously? Yeah. How how else are you going to have chicken and, du- chicken and dumplings for Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> oh,
1: well. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Hey, Michael, we have to let you go because we got to give some books away and some of our own eggs. But uh, how do people reach out? How do they learn more? Uh, you
2: can reach out to RayTMS.com. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, we're always willing to listen and partner and uh, hit me up on LinkedIn or read us
1: Nice. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Cle- Kevin, I am glad, uh, I'm glad you were revealed that you're kind of like Jigsaw. You're sitting there eating uh, omelets in front of the chicken you're about to eat.
0: I, I, I am, yes. <laughs> I, I, I am kind of like that. So, but but that's, how, that's how we had chicken and dumplings on, on, on Thanksgiving. It was a special
1: treat for us children. All right, but did you know that with stamps right now they they put something in, like in in action that if you're showing outdoor wildlife like birds and stuff, you have to put like hunting equipment in there like there was a picture of a duck on a pond and like a shotgun shell in the water I, I, who knows what's twenty twenty is a messed up year man uh here's a couple here's a couple <laughs> of shout outs before we roll for the book Ned says when you surprisingly win the Wyoming to Montana lane because you are the only person to bid on it yes that, uh, that happens Eric Surtis says I have. More to add in a few weeks, we are supposed to be hearing back from our big bid, but who knows if we hear back at all really well. Uh hopefully that goes through, Eric. We're all we're all pulling for you. TJ Nudson, he says, when you think a couple low price stringer lanes will get you into the network for more, and you only get awarded those lanes. Yeah, that's a tough one. You try to do like, a little Trojan horse lane and then uh that just becomes it, right? You can't let the troops out of the back of the horse.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I, we, we've been in that position before. You know, we bit been on 100 lanes, and the, the one with five loads a year is the only lane we won. Yeah. Instead right? of the, so, so you go through all
1: this work, and you're going to get five loads. Instead of the Trojan horse, you turn into the wicker man. Then you're inside your own statue being set on fire with a brazen bull. Whew. John you know the inventor of the brazen bull. Just you know the inventor of the brazen bull. You know what the brazen bull is? It was a torture device, right? And they used to put—they would put you inside of it, and they would heat the thing up, and you would like burn up inside. Well, the king—he thought it was so cruel but so awesome. Uh, he told the—he made the inventor go inside of his own device and uh, and test it out. I, I guess that probably didn't work out well for the inventor of the the, the what was it—the blazing bull. The brazen bull. That's why there was never a brazen bull, too. <laughs> Benjamin, too soon? No, nah, this was like 600 years ago, Kevin. We can, we can make fun of this guy. Benjamin Kowalski, he says, great topic. I would say the one-sided nature of the current bid process. It's focused on the shipper without any consideration for the carriers or brokerages. This leaves a lot of underutilized capacity in the market. Yes, it does. So is the story. Jake says, great question. Just so much to love about the whole process. Chris Jolly, when a two-round bid turns into five, yes, these things take time. Time is a budget and they can always go over budget. Gotta be. Got to be careful doing that. Kevin, what book are we giving away today?
0: We're going to give away Power Questions. And I forgot at home, so I don't have a copy of it up here, but it has 37 Power Questions. And I think it goes really good with the bids because there's a lot of times we don't ask the right questions. We just want the bid. We think winning the bid or winning the opportunity to actually bid is – is the win um but but we don't understand what that bid is doing you know their decision making process and uh this this book will will really help you uh uncover those 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 hidden nuggets of information that that will tell you whether this bid is even worth your time or not all right let me roll
1: All right, the winner is number fifty-one. That would be none other than it's Lisa Petty. She's a longtime listener of the show. Petty, very excited. good. Excited. Congratulations, to give, Lisa! Yeah, excited to give her that book. We have a few more comments. Patrick Murray says, "Can't match Murray." Says, "Can't wait." Michael Feig says, "This will be fun." Elizabeth Fisher opening a can of worms here. That's our favorite kind of worms uh mumina abdallah says uh is just laughing i Devin goes that was horrible i think i don't know if they're talking about the brazen bull they probably are
0: it, it reminds me of another medieval analogy to this is a lot of the shipper beds i mean the shippers act like um that they're inside their castle high walls a little, that big wide deep moat and they're not going to give you any information. You're going to turn in your bid, and it's just going to sit in that castle that you can't get into with the big gates and the sentries, you know, uh, who are the people that, that you call your contacts who are lower, lower level, and you just never hear a thing.
1: Well, here's the thing, too. VCs and, like, finance people and business people, they're always talking about moats, so I think that we can talk about brazen bulls. Let's normalize all this medieval dialogue. What about Iron Maidens? It is. <laughs> the Iron Maiden of freight. <laughs> hey, if you want to, if you guys want to, we have an event tomorrow. We have uh, an event tomorrow. It's Last Mile yep. Logistics. Uh, for those of you listening, it says On Demand. It's Thursday the 8th. So if you missed it, all this stuff will be On Demand too. But if you register now, guess what, everybody? You can win a Peloton. You can win a Peloton. You can win a Peloton. And it's free. You just go to live.freightways.com. You put in your name, right? You put in your email address. Let me draw it. And, uh, and you have a pretty good chance of winning, you know? You know, better than like uh, the national lottery, right? You do. It is a Peloton <laughs> bike just like behind you right there yeah. you
0: can yeah. you can work out in the same group training as as Dooner.
1: Yeah, Clay. Uh, Davin says, you missed a good show. Clay, catch the replay. Yes, thank you. And you just set me up perfectly. If you missed this show, you can look it up on your favorite podcast player of choice. Just look up Put That Coffee Down. Or if you want every single Freightways podcast, including uploads of all of our live events, just look up Freightcast. That is all of our shows, all in one feed. Super convenient. These are available on every podcast player that exists to man. So you just look up Put That Coffee Down. Or you look up Freightcast if you want anything. Or if you want to watch this stuff, you can download the Freightways TV app, right? Super free. You can watch it on your big screen TV. Or you can look it up on YouTube. We're uh, we're everywhere, or simply go to freightwaves.com. You should also connect with Kevin and I on LinkedIn, get the conversation going. You can find me on the Twitter at Timothy Dooner, that is D-O-O-N-E R, or on LinkedIn, where many of you are right now. Just don't be afraid to click that connect button. If you want to book, right, book it in the comments. If you want to connect with Kevin, Kevin Hillcl on the Twitter and uh Kevin Hill on, on LinkedIn. Are there a lot of Kevin Hills on there, Kevin? There, there is, so there's
0: a lot of Kevin Hills. It's, it's a it's a, a normal name. It's a common name. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is a common name.